Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to gather together, and we ask that as we uh, study your word and uh, the plan that you have hatched for our salvation, we ask that you might enlighten us, that you might prepare us to make greater decisions for you. And Father, I ask above all things that you would speak here, that your word would be clear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So why are we talking about media? Did you know that we see an average of 5,000 commercial messages every day? 5,000. Actually, statistically speaking, the average teenager, that's most of you all here, the average teenager spends about 7.5 hours of each day with media whether that be watching television or surfing the internet or, or uh, playing on your clever phones, I'm sorry, smartphones or all these other things, spend about 7.5 hours each day. And if you would count what we call media multitasking, which is where you use more than one device simultaneously, it's about 10 hours a day. Almost half of the hours of your day are spent engaging media. Now, does media actually affect us? What do you think? Yes? Oh, do you believe that or are you just saying that because you know I'm going to say that it does? Media actually does affect us. Um, there was this gentleman here, his name is Darren Brown. He's what they call a psychological illusionist. Basically, that is to say, his illusions are mind games. So he's kind of like a magician, but he just plays tricks with people's minds. He did an experiment. If you want to spend, I don't have enough time to show you the experiment. It's about six or seven minutes long. But he did a subliminal advertising experiment. What he did was he hired a couple of guys to create some designs for him. And on the way to the place that he wanted them to do the designing, he left advertisements and all of these messages and he believed that he could control what idea they came up with for the project by the things he surrounded them with on the way. So they're driving in the cab and you'll see there'll be you know people walking down the street and they'll have a logo on their t-shirt or they'll have this or they'll have that and these people aren't consciously taking note of their surroundings but they're seeing all of these things. And as it turns out, they go and they sit down and they come up with their concepts of the design. They have about an hour. And after the hour, they show the guy, okay, well, these are the ideas that we came up with. This is the, for your taxidermy shop. And this is perhaps a, an image, a logo that you can use. And they show him all of these things. And he's like, huh, that's interesting. And then he shows them that he has basically the exact same thing that he wanted them to make. But he did it by strategically locating advertisements in their surroundings on their way to his office. It's crazy. It's really crazy. So you should check it out sometime. Write it down. Darren Brown, subliminal advertising. But the key is that what we see dramatically affects us. But we didn't need Darren Brown to tell us that. As a matter of fact, we already had Jesus tell us that. He said, the eye is the what? Oop, it's not even showing. Oop, yep, try again. The eye is the lamp of the... The lamp of the body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. It's Luke 11:34. So what is it this Jesus is saying here? Somebody break that down for me.
All right, so the things that we see will affect us on what we think, what we believe, how we act. It will literally have an effect on our entire being. Now, that's the introduction to media. But I want to present to you that media is not just some, some uh, tool that can be used, but that it is a tool that is intentionally being used by our enemy. Does anybody know that there was a war in heaven? In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, man, we don't have time to go through all of this, but I'm going to summarize it for you. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels, and uh, the dragon was cast out. There was no more place for them. So this is the dragon versus Michael, and the dragon loses. And then in the end it says, Rejoice ye heavens, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Because, anybody know why? Because the devil has come down, and he knows he has a short time. So the devil was in heaven, started a war, lost the war, and is cast down to earth. And now we are in the middle of a war zone. So there was war in heaven, and there is war on earth. But in order for us to understand the war on earth, we have to first understand the war in heaven. So what we're going to do is ask a very simple question. Why was there war in heaven? Does anybody know why there was war in heaven? Jealousy, all right. Any other words come to mind? Pride, Pride, covetousness. This is exactly correct. As a matter of fact, you can write down these passages. um, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 to 15, and Isaiah 14, verse 11 through 14. We see that in Ezekiel 28, it literally says, you were perfect in all of your ways. God created Lucifer as a perfect being in every possible way. He was perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. Isaiah chapter 14 begins by saying, how are you fallen from heaven, Lucifer? How did this happen? (laughs) Why would a perfect being somehow end up cast out of heaven? And it says that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. He desired to be like God. I want to present to you that the heart of the issue was the law of God. The heart of the great controversy in heaven, on earth, and today is the law of God. Satan's rebellion began as an internal rebellion. Briefly summarizing for you. He saw Christ exalted. He desired to be exalted. His desire was unjustifiable by the law. And so, instead of finding fault with himself, he found fault with the law of God. You see, what happened was, you know, we understand that Christ appeared to the angels as an angel, just like he appeared to men as a man. And when he appeared to the angels as an angel, his, his angelic name uh, was Michael. He was the archangel. He was one of the covering cherubs. It was him and Lucifer who stood beside the throne of God. And uh, when he saw that now Michael, the archangel, who we know as Christ, was being exalted, he's like, well, hey, he's just an angel just like me. Why come? How come I'm not being exalted like he's being exalted? Why am I not being lifted up like he's being lifted up? And so as a result, He begins to brood inside himself. He says, hmm, 
you know, this law of God, I've got a problem with it. Because it tells me that I, I should love and I should want the best interests of everybody else. But right now, I want myself to be lifted up. And so God planned an intervention. And God came and attempted to reason with him, attempted to work with him. Infinite love pleaded with him. And he had the opportunity to be reinstated. But his pride prevented him from being reinstated. And so his, his deception went into a, a second phase. The second phase was a mask phase where he professed to be loyal to God. But what he truly did was he incited doubt. He claimed that he had suffered injustice at the hands of God. And he declared that the law of God was purely selfish. What we see him doing is painting himself in a positive light and painting God in a negative light. He helps the angels by inciting little ideas in their heads. Hmm, is God really looking out for us? Is God really doing what's best for us? Or do we need to look out for ourselves? And as these questions begin to percolate in the minds of everyone in heaven, hmm, well, it's possible. It's possible. What should we believe? One of the things that he claimed was that we're all good deep down inside. We don't need God's law to tell us how to be holy. We're holy naturally. We're created perfect. Of course, everything that we do will be holy. So as he appears to men, I'm sorry, to angels, he has several objectives. One of his objectives is to awaken doubt in the mind of the angelic hosts. He wants them to begin to question whether or not God has their best interests at heart. The second thing that he does intentionally is inverting the reasoning to say that good is evil, evil is good. God is selfish and we don't need God's selfishness. And in addition to that, he created discontent in heaven, telling them that, hey, you know, you'll never have a truly fulfilling existence unless you break free from this law of God. And he did all of this in the name of holiness and righteousness. So we see that it, he, he subtly worked until he could no longer pretend like he was in favor of the government of heaven. And then his rebellion became what we call an active rebellion. Now, I highly recommend that you go back and read the first chapter of Patriarchs and Prophets because it, 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 uh, it's, it's an amazing book that really expounds this whole story further. I wish we had more time. I'm trying to rush through this because we have so much to cover. But the rebellion becomes active. And he says, you know what? This is all God's fault. It's God's fault that I'm rebelling. <laughs> Does that even make sense? It's God's fault that I'm rebelling because God's being too controlling. I'm just doing what comes naturally to me. And so he, he demands that the creator resigns. He demands, you know, God, you just need to step down and let us do what we do best. And he vows, I will get rid of all the restrictive laws of heaven. And there will be only one law. His law was do what you want. Do what you want. So when he could no longer hide, he comes out into the open. And amazingly, he deceives an entire one-third of the angels in the end. Now, as I understand, it was half 
but some of them actually got some sense back into them and, and returned to the side of God. But he, he plans this whole thing. Let's look at that progression one more time. It starts out with an internal desire, and the internal desire becomes masked because he, he pretends like he's wanting something good, but he's hiding his true intentions. And the masked intentions turn into open actions. And his open actions put him in direct controversy with the law of God. And so what he's attempting to do is to shed this darkened light. Does that make sense, darkened light? Do you know what I'm even saying? Uh, he intends, intends to obscure. That's a better way of saying it. Obscure. He intends to obscure the character of God. He intends to make it shadowy and uncertain when God's character of love has been clear from the dawn of time. And he does an amazing job. So that is the war in heaven. And now that we understand the war in heaven, we can understand the war on earth. Satan repeats the exact same process with man. We find that story in Genesis chapter 3. And I want us to, to, to actually turn there, if you have your Bibles with you. I want us to actually look at this for a moment, because this is where, this is where it gets really, really deep. Do you all remember the three things that he did in heaven? His three objectives. Anybody? Awakened doubt. All right, awaken doubt. Invert reasoning. There we go. And what's the third thing? Create discontent. All right, now let's see if we can find where he does these things in Genesis chapter 3. Do you guys have it? All right, if you have it, then read along in your heads because it's probably going to get confusing depending on the translations you have. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has he done anything that we're talking about yet? Awaken doubt. Huh. So wait a minute. When he was in heaven, his first objective was to awaken doubt in people's minds. And then he comes to earth, and the first thing that he does is awaken doubt in people's minds. The woman says to the serpent, yeah, we can eat of everything except for the one that's in the midst of the garden. God said, you shall not eat it nor touch it lest ye die. And then the serpent says, you will not surely die. Hmm. Does that sound like any of the three things we're talking about? Invert reasoning. <laughs> Absolutely. Because he starts out saying, oh, well, you know, if you eat it, you probably won't die. But God said you will die. So if God said you will die and I say you won't die, now we're saying that God is restrictive. God is keeping something away from you. And this is what we see in his very next, the very next word he says. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. Did he do the third thing? Create discontentment? He says, God's created you like this, but if you do what I say, I'm going to give you something even better than what's God, what God has given you. So he takes the same strategy that he had on earth, and in heaven, yes. He takes the same strategy that he had in heaven, and he says, you know what? I can do this on earth, too. I'll tell them that they need to doubt their creator. They need to distrust their creator. 
has God really said this? Does God really mean this? Next thing he does, invert the reasoning. You will not surely die. The next thing he does, create discontent. You will be like gods. Now, the enemy needs an army. Because as we know, does anybody know how the, how the, the grand story ends? How does the great controversy end? For the devil, at least. What happens? He has an army of people, and, and they surround the city. What city? The New Jerusalem. So, so God has come down with the New Jerusalem and is sitting on the earth, and all the wicked, they're raised up from the dead for the final judgment hour. And what does the devil tell them? Tells them, attack the city. We can take this city. We can knock God off of his pompous throne, and we'll have it for ourselves. Look at that gold. That gold can be yours. Look at that jasper. That jasper can be yours. And he rallies an army. Now, that, that concept totally made no sense to me. I'm like, who in their right mind would see God in the fullness of his glory and say, oh, yeah, I can take you? <laughs> Does that make it... Did anybody think you would, you would be in that group? Like, if you were resurrected, would you say, oh, yeah, I'm ready to fight. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. You know, Braveheart style or something, you know? I mean, it just, yeah, you know? It just, I don't, I could never figure out how could he possibly deceive everybody. It's clear you're going to lose. But let's look at how his deceptions play out today. In heaven, awaken doubt, invert reasoning, create discontent. He did it. In Eden, he did this by saying, you won't really die. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Let's translate that into what it means here and now. Today, you won't really die. You can live in a world of sin forever. And if you can live in a world of sin forever, then that means that this earth is your home. This is what you need to fight for. This is what you need to defend. Your eyes will be opened. What does that mean today? Oh, well, bad isn't really so bad. Not really. And good, good can be bad too. Just depends on how you look at it. Good is bad. Bad is good. You will be like God. He's saying, you will no longer have a need for God. You will be God. You can replace your creator. These messages are being preached to us every day through media. Dun, dun, dun. So this is a media seminar. I want to talk to you a little bit about media. I'm just going to show you a few examples. I don't want to spend too much time, and I don't want us to get all glorifying in, 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 in the idea uh, and just, oh, let's explore more of the deception. But I think it's important for us to recognize that the deception is taking place. Are you guys ready for this? Your seatbelts fastened, tray tables stowed, baggage, everything. Okay. So um, I'm going to show you a picture. I'm going to ask you who it is. Are you ready? Who is this? <laughs> Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime. Anybody know um, the trilogy of movies that came out featuring this fellow? Transformers. Transformers. That's right. All right. Does anybody know the plot of Transformers? 
Pardon? Yes, the Decepticons try to take over the Earth. And who fights along with the humans to protect them? The Autobots. Optimus Prime and the rest of the Autobots. Now check this out. Once I saw this, it blew my mind. Because I saw the movie like a dozen times. And I never got it. But you remember the whole great controversy thing that we talked about in heaven? That's this whole movie. Except who we find the hero to be, Optimus Prime, is a character who was cast out of Cybertron. He's the enemy. I'm just going to play for you a short segment from, I think it was the third one, where it describes how there was war in heaven. See if it makes sense. Does that sound familiar? So there was, there was this war that was going on in Cybertron, and uh, the Autobots were outnumbered. But here's the crazy thing. It says we were Autobots. Anybody know what Autobot stands for? Autonomous robot basically means a robot that does whatever it wants to do. Huh. Huh. So the robots that do whatever they want to do fight against the deceivers. You remember Lucifer said that God was deceiving the angels. So the Decepticons, the deceivers, are fighting against the autonomous robots, the ones that want to be on their own. And they lose. And where do they end up? On Earth. Hmm. And the whole, the whole trilogy plays up to this moment where the Decepticons want to bring their dwelling place to Earth. Hmm? Hmm? Is it making sense? So, so in the true great controversy, Lucifer was fighting against the Creator, and he's cast out of heaven down to the earth, and then he rallies people on the earth to fight against the Creator who's coming back. Matter of fact, one of the taglines of the movies was, the, the, uh, the enemy's return is certain. We know the return of Jesus Christ is certain. And so the, the enemy... In, in Lucifer's mind, in the devil's mind, is Christ. And we have to prevent him from bringing the dwelling place down to earth. And so the whole movie is about, oh, we have to stop them. We have to fight alongside human beings. And as we work together, we can have this earth as our home. Is that sounding anything like what we had talked about? This earth being our home, something that we have to fight for, something that we have to keep, the roles of good and evil being reversed and flipped? The whole trilogy is based on it. And the more, the more movies that come out, the more I see it is the exact same plot being fed to us over and over and over again. And so as we hear this plot, we begin to get this message, subliminal advertising. Remember what I talked about subliminal advertising? It's not like we're consciously seeing, oh yeah, that's a Prius over there. I should buy a Prius. It's not like it's, a, a, it's, it's something that we think of. But 
The advertisers, what they do with their advertisements is they put it in plain sight, and as you see it over and over again, you become more comfortable with it without ever thinking about it. And so what the enemy is doing through media is he's presenting his message to make us more and more comfortable with it to the point where there may be a moment where he needs to rally an army to fight against the Creator and all those who have come down from the cosmos. Matter of fact, movie that came out this year, same plot. Anybody remember? This guy, Tom Cruise, in the movie Oblivion. I believe it just came out this year, right? Was it this year or last year? It was this year. Anybody know what the plot of this movie is? Tom Cruise shoots people, that's right. Um, basically, Tom Cruise is a character who's left to guard over the Earth, and there's apparently nobody left on the Earth. Hmm. Hmm, do we know about any time in the course of the future where there will be one being left on the earth and nobody else? Hmm, Satan during the thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, he rallies people to fight against the Creator. So in this movie, he joins with these people who are living underground, who all wear black, and um, Morgan Freeman was one of them. I was so disappointed. No, but really... All of these guys, they join together, and what's their plan? Their plan is to destroy the Creator, to destroy God. Does that sound far-fetched? It's actually a line in the movie. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it for you. Listen carefully. Listen carefully, because the one that they're attempting to destroy says, I am your God, I am your Creator, and then they blow him up. And was, how can a man that good and facing fearful odds? That's the end of the movie. I am your creator. I am your God. Screw you. Kaboom. That's, that's the message that's being played into your mind. Destroy the creator. Destroy God. Hmm. But is it, is it possible, okay, I'm gonna, I might make some enemies now. Is it possible that, that the devil isn't just even using all of these big movies that, that you know, everybody could say, oh, well, I could, I could see that. Is it possible he's using more innocent, innocent movies? Is it possible? Is it possible? Okay, okay. Anybody know who this is? No. It's Wreck-It Ralph. 
Who, who is this guy? Wreck it, Ralph. And what's what's his role in life? I'm gonna wreck it. He destroys everything with his big monster hands and stuff. And he's in nice land, and all he can do is mess things up. Hmm. Right? And then there's Fix It Felix. Now, if you're gonna if you're gonna be real, this is the devil, and then Fix It Felix is Jesus, right? Right? No. You, you guys don't. You guys don't want to believe it. You okay? You know what? You know, we we'll just finish the presentation because y'all ain't ready for it. You're not ready for it. Okay. Look, look. The things that are said overtly, plainly, openly in these movies get into our minds and have a way of changing our belief systems. So over time, as we hear the messages over and over again, we begin to believe them. Do you know what what messages are in this movie? Just going to play one more clip for you. One more clip. Listen to it. Tell me if there's anything wrong with it. Okay? You ready? Are you guys ready? I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. You can't mess with the program, Ralph. You're not going turbo, are you? Turbo? No, I'm not going turbo. Come on, guys. Is a turbo to want a friend or a metal? Or a piece of pie every once in a while? Is the turbo to want more out of life? Yes. Ralph, Ralph, we get it. But we can't change who we are. And the sooner you accept that, the better off your game and your life will be. Hey, one game at a time, Ralph. Now let's close out with the bad guy after me. Okay. I'm bad. And that's good. I will never be good. Right, he didn't want to be bad. He didn't want to, but but did you did you notice? Did you notice? You can't change who you are. But he changed that But did he really change? He didn't change. But see, the, the, the thing is that the, the, the messages of the enemy are there. You can't change who you are. You just accept who you are. Embrace who you are. Whereas Christ is saying you can be something more than you've ever been. And so, so he's, and then the, the bad guy affirmation at the end, I'm bad. And that's good. I will never be good. And that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be but me. Does that sound just a little bit off. Just, just a little. I mean, we talked about the whole idea. Awaken doubt, invert reasoning, and uh, what was the third one? Anybody? Create discontent. All right. And we talked about how that played out in the Garden of Eden, and we talked about how that plays out now. In just these three short examples, we can see how even through media, the devil is placing his advertisements in plain sight, giving us other gods, other objectives, other priorities. And somehow, it gets in. It gets in, and then we start to believe that change isn't possible, that we just are who we are, and we need to appreciate ourselves for who we are. And we start to lose value for the things of heaven because we're so obsessed with the earth being our home, something to fight for, something to defend. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, then we would be here fighting. He said his kingdom is another world. 
another place, another time. But, you know, the devil, the devil is, is really good at, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you an advertisement. I'm going to ask you if there's anything wrong with it. I'm going to ask you if there's anything wrong with it, okay? Are you ready? Is there anything wrong with this? He's LeBron James. He's got his arms outstretched. There's a halo sort of above him. We are all witnesses. Does anybody know where that line comes from? It comes from the Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Nike's ad campaign for LeBron James was ripped off from Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Yeah, they call him King James. We are all witnesses. I'm telling you that the enemy is so subtle in his ways of taking the things of God and using them for his own benefit. Using them for his own good. So now as we, as we wrap up, because we've got to close really soon. I can't help it. Okay, we'll talk more later, okay? But check this out. Okay, so his, his objective was to awaken doubt, to invert reasoning, to create discontent. The lies that he's told us here and now through media is that this earth is our home. Something to fight for, something to live for, something to die for. Bad is good, good is bad. We don't need God anymore. We just have each other. We just have our heroes. We have our stars, and that's it. Now, our defense against all these things, it's, it's interesting because it actually comes from Ephesians where it talks about the armor of God. Our defense against doubt is what? Faith. All right. Our defense against inverted reasoning is what? Truth. Our defense against discontentment is what? Now, let's look at how these things play out. We have defense in faith. What it means is that we look for another home. Hebrews chapter 11. Anybody know what Hebrews chapter 11 is about? It's the faith chapter. And it says all of these people were looking for a home outside of this world. And they lived their lives like they weren't staying here. They didn't get comfortable. They didn't accept all that the world had to feed them. As a matter of fact, we started out by saying the eye is the lamp of the body. Whatever you take in with your eyes will affect your entire being. Right? So we need to be careful about what we are bringing in. And we need to make sure we're getting a lot more good in than we are bad. Truth, our defense, recognizing that God is good. God is love. And love never changes. God never changes. There's not some of this, oh, well, you know, today it's good and tomorrow it's bad and we'll see what happens. Salvation. Now, how does salvation have anything to do with creating discontentment? How does it combat it? How does it fight against it? Well, let's face it. The whole creating of discontentment was saying you don't need God. But salvation proves to us that we need God. Salvation says you can't do this alone. Salvation says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And if you want eternal life, it's a gift. But you are lost without him, and so you depend on him. Truth, faith, salvation. These are our defenses against those lies of the enemy. I want to take a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk about how they fell 
and how we can stand. You guys mentioned before, what was it that led to the downfall of Lucifer? Jealousy? Pride? All right. So Lucifer created perfect. Pride awakens in his heart. And because he is prideful, he refuses to be subject to the law of God. Why? Because the law of God now tells him that he has a problem. Quick illustration. Okay. So um, I look in the mirror and it tells me that I've got um, a chickpea on my tooth. Because, man, was lunch good or what? Yes, for lunch. All right. So it tells me that I've got a little chickpea shell stuck on my tooth, right? And it makes me look really bad, you know, because I'm just like, And, and it's just like stuck there. But I don't like the fact that this mirror is telling me there's something stuck in my teeth, right? So what should I do? Break the mirror. Of course, that solves the problem, right? I mean, if there's no mirror there telling me that there's a chickpea in my tooth, is it really there? Well, yeah, it's still there. But, but that's, that's how we oftentimes respond. We see the law of God, which is good, which is wonderful, which is powerful. We see it. And it shows us that there's something wrong with what we're doing in our day-to-day lives, perhaps with the media that we're consuming, whether it's movies, whether it's television, whether it's games. The law of God tells us there's something wrong here. But we don't want to admit or accept that there's something wrong. And so pride rises up within us just like it rose up within Lucifer. And so what do we do? We break the mirror. Ah, I I don't need this mirror telling me what to do. There's nothing wrong with the mirror. It's just telling you how you are. I want to read you a little uh, paragraph from uh, Patriarchs and Prophets. The time had come for a final decision. He must fully yield to the divine sovereignty or place himself in open rebellion. Speaking of Lucifer, he nearly reached the decision to return, but pride forbade him. You know, there was almost no war in heaven. There was almost no war in heaven. There was this moment when, 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 All the hope of God was reasoning with Lucifer, and he's saying, look, this will only end horribly. And Lucifer's heart was touched. He was there, and he was like, man, you know what? My creator is right. The only thing that made this continue was his pride. Let me finish reading this thing. It's crazy. It says, It was too great a sacrifice for one who had been so highly honored to confess that he had been in error, that his imaginations were false, and to yield to the to yield to the authority which had been working to prove which he had been working to prove unjust. Patriarchs and Prophets, page thirty-nine. There was almost no war, but because he was proud, he didn't want to admit or accept or anyone to know that he was actually wrong. Past thousands of years have been proving that he was. So we see he fell because of pride. We need to be on guard for pride. How did Eve fall? Anybody tell me, how did Eve fall? What what was her first mistake? Curiosity. She wanders over and she sees that she's in a place where she knows she's not supposed to be. And what does she do? She stays there. She lingers. She looks at the fruit. Unmindful of the angel's caution, she found herself gazing with mingled curiosity and admiration upon the forbidden tree. 
The fruit was very beautiful, and she questioned with herself why God had withheld it from them. And now was the tempter's opportunity. You see, Eve, and that's, that's from page 53 of the same book. Eve was literally there, and she gave the devil an opportunity to tempt her. So let me ask you, how many times do we give the enemy the opportunity to tempt us when he never would have had a chance to begin with? We need to learn from how they fell so we can understand how we can stand. Satan fell because of his pride. Eve fell because she stayed on the ground of temptation rather than fleeing at the first sign of danger. How did Adam fall? Because of his wife. <laughs> it's, it's sort of legitimate. It's not a horrible, horrible. <laughs> Because he loved his wife more than he loved God. Does anybody know if, tell me, was, was, was he deceived? No. How many say yes? How many say no? Most people say no. Okay, okay. Turn, turn your Bible. Somebody turn your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. This, this is interesting. Just, just for the record, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy, uh, almost there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 13. If you have it, say amen. amen. I don't have it yet, so you have to wait for me. <laughs> ah. Second Timothy, First Timothy chapter 2. These pages are stuck together. Ah. Uh. All right, First Timothy chapter 2. Why am I in Thessalonians? Ah! Okay, 1 Timothy, chapter 2. First uh, Timothy, chapter 2, verse 13. Here we go. It says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 14. Adam was not what? Adam was not deceived. The woman be, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So it's saying that the woman was deceived. She was actually honestly tricked. But the man was not deceived. That means he knew exactly what he was getting into. And he still did it. Read one more. Uh, Patriarchs and Prophets 56. Adam understood that his companion had transgressed the command of God disregarded the only prohibition, prohibition laid upon them as a test of their fidelity and love. There was a struggle in his mind, and he resolved to share her fate. If she must die, he would die with her. How noble. No, how foolish. How foolish. So how did Adam fall? He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong, but he didn't want to stand alone. He didn't want to be all by himself in doing what was right. And so he said, I would rather be lost with this woman than be saved without her. Whoa. Do we do that? Because of the person who's sitting next to you. Will you make a bad decision? Because of that friend of yours who sits next to you in class or the person who walks, walks with you in between classes or the friend who you're going to hang out with. And because of this person, will you do what you know is wrong? 
I've done it quite a bit. Lucifer fell because he was proud and he was jealous. He refused to be subject to the law of God. He didn't want to be ruled over by a law that told him he was wrong. Eve, she fell because she was tempted and she was tempted because she stayed in a place where she would be tempted. Adam knew what was right, but didn't have the courage to stand on his own two feet. It's war. It's war out here every single day. And we will be constantly bombarded with the messages of the enemy through media. Look around you. This is the end of the world. This is exactly what it looks like. People eating and drinking and rising up to play. Peace and safety and then comes sudden destruction. We are bombarded with these messages. And the eye is the lamp of the body. Whatever we give our attention to, whatever we focus on will affect us. I personally made a covenant that I'm, <laughs> I need to stop seeking entertainment in things that are not true, things that are not honest, things that are not just, things that are not pure, things that are not lovely, things that are not of good report, no virtue, no praise. I should not be thinking on these things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I'm going to challenge you. Make that your standard for your entertainment. Make that your standard for what you will see or what you will not see. Make that your standard for what you will dedicate your time to. We must be intensely careful of the messages that we allow inside. You remember at the beginning of the presentation, I talked about it. You, you guys should look it up, the whole subliminal advertising thing. Just by having things around us, we are affected to the point that what we think is our original thought is actually something that someone else has planted for us to think. So we must be vigilant. We must be careful. It is war. Instead of the pride that Lucifer exhibited, we need to have humility. The humility to accept that we are sinners in need of a savior. Instead of the self-confidence that Eve had, we need to have a confidence in God, not lingering on the grounds of temptation, holding on to the truth about God rather than the lies of the enemy. And instead of being as foolish as Adam, we need to be courageous, even if we have to stand alone in the fight. The eye is the lamp of the body. And whatever you put in front of your face will change your mind. Some of us may have lost our minds somewhere along the way. I know I did. <laughs> but by God's grace, I'm reclaiming my mind. I'm renewing my mind. Anybody know Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beg you, my brothers, because God is merciful. Some of you were there when I preached that sermon in Montreal. Some of you guys remember that? I beg you, my brothers, because God is merciful, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is the only way that we can reasonably serve God because our sacrificing of our selfish desires is an act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renovation of your mind. Take it all out. Renovate the whole place. See what belongs and what doesn't belong. And then you will be able to prove 
to truly know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And I encourage each and every one of you to spend some time today. I know everybody says spend some time and think about this and pray about that, but I'm actually really serious. Spend some time today, just you and God. I know we're here for the conference and everything, and, and it's all about the camaraderie and having a good time and, and, and the fellowship, but spend a few moments alone and ask God, what are the things that I'm putting in that may be losing the war? See what it is and commit to God to be as determined to be saved as he is determined to save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've seen that here in this world, it is very easy for us to lose our minds, to lose control, because the enemy knows that he has a short time, and he has planted his messages, his snares, his temptations all around us. Father, I ask by your grace, by your spirit, that you would teach us to renew our minds, to redeem the time, to be aware that we are receiving these messages, whether we understand them and recognize them or not, they are affecting us. And Father, I ask that you would help us to care enough to not be proud, to not be too lifted up, to be humbled by you. Help us to not linger on grounds of temptation, not to go where we know we're weak, where we can be tempted. And above all, when faced with choices, Father, help us to stand courageous, no matter who may be against us. If you are for us, our victory is assured. Help us to be confident in your blood as our salvation and to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that you work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Bless us for the rest of this day and bless us as the Sabbath approaches us in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.